We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Galato. Tonight, we are here to break down the New York Giants on the All-22 Coaches film, the defense, the defensive side of the ball against the Miami Dolphins in a really interesting game plan for Miami. They didn't really ask Tua to do all that much, a ton of RPO. Um, Obviously, the Dolphins offensive line is not as disastrous as the Giants, maybe as disastrous as the Giants. Uh... Fortunately, and we'll get to this, Nick, because this is one of my big takeaways. The interior Giants defensive line did not do nearly enough in this game. And we'll get to it when we talk about who I have as the worst player on film, just based on the circumstances. But this was a bad Miami Dolphins offensive line coming into this game. This has been a bad Dolphins offensive line for a long time. Some would argue it's worse than the Giants. And I'm not so sure the Giants did everything to take advantage of that, specifically on the interior defensive line with Dexter Lawrence mainly and Leonard Williams. We'll get to that. But overall, It's another good game plan from Patrick Graham. It's another good game from the Giants defense, one that continues to hold opposing teams. Um, Well, this one, not under 20 points. I know heading into this game, the Giants had allowed 15.3 points per game in their last five. And this one, they gave up 20, of course. But again, that's barely anything to, you know, get crazy mad about 20 points in a game. You should be able to beat a team if all they score is 20, if your offense is any good at all. Um, So, Really, overall, I was impressed with Patrick Graham. I was impressed with the coverage. I was impressed with the in-sync nature of this Giants defense, the coverage, everything. Everybody's playing with a lot more confidence. And as we went over, and we'll talk about in the All-22, the three players we mentioned in the reaction pod, man, I liked what I saw from them when I went back and watched the film. Aaron Robinson, Quincy Ruche, and Aziz Ojolari. So let's get into this bad boy now, Nick. Let's start with what your key takeaway and some major theme you had just from watching this game. Well, one reason why the Giants couldn't get a lot of pressure is all by design. It's Miami's offense, bro. That RPO offense is very difficult to defend because you have to execute your run responsibility. And if Tua, you know, sees that the linebackers bite up just a hair, they're going to throw the pass. And I think that's one big reason why the Giants weren't able to get as much pressure as many expected. It was more of what the offense was doing rather than what the defense uh, could do. I think that's fair. I also think if we're going to get into like that's a good conversation to get into. If you have 33 plays rushing the passer like Dexter Lawrence did and you can't get a single pressure and you're going against an interior offensive line that's this bad, that's somewhat on you because we talked all last podcast when we broke down the Giants offense about how difficult of a time Matt Scarra had against players like Christian Wils- uh, Wilkins and how difficult of a time you know Billy Price had and Will Hernandez had. Well, these are bad guys on the interior for Miami. And if you have Dexter Lawrence, a guy you invest the 17th overall pick in, he's got, we got to be leaving this game saying he, like Christian Wilkins, gave that guard or gave that whoever it may be in the interior a really hard time and got through early and often and really was disruptive. And same thing goes for Leonard Williams, who had a little bit of a better game in my mind. But I was extremely disappointed in Dexter Lawrence in this game. I'm going to be honest with you because I expect big things 
out of the 17th overall pick against a bad offensive line and a really good matchup, interior offensive line and a really good matchup like this. And I, I'll be honest with you, Nick, I thought he had a really bad game in the passing game. And I know he's great in the run game, so it sucks to say, but I didn't like what I saw from him as a pass rusher in this game. And I'm just saying it's very difficult not to make excuses for them, but when Tua's getting the football out of his hands in, in sure. such a quick amount of time, I don't understand how they're supposed to get pressure when they have to respect the mesh point that Tua goes in with Miles Gaskin. And that that's one Agreed. of the yeah. I totally agree. But that, I, even, I mean, it wasn't 100% RPOs in this game for Miami. So it just more so on those other plays and just in general, just not blowing up those guards as much as I would like to see. Like not just not as disruptive as what you should be in my mind when you're taking that high and, and what you have to be when you're taking that. It's not even what you should be. It's what you need to be for your team to be like you need to hit on those types of I don't know. I just felt like we saw so much disruption from the other side of the ball against a bad interior Giants offensive line. Why don't we see the same as much even on the, uh, you know, from the Giants defense line? I guess that would be my question. Is it just all scheme? You think? I think a lot of it is scheme. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Giants have Mike Glennon dropping back to pass and trying to roll the pocket with Mike Glennon. Two is literally just going into the mesh point, reading one defender and then getting rid of the football or handing the football off. So that just puts the entire defensive front into a, a situation where they're not hundred percent certain what's going to happen. And they have to be really, really quick to, to make that decision. A lot of times, like Aziz Ojolari was the read defender and he was unblocked on a lot of these plays. I felt like he had a really good game yeah. here. And we'll, we'll go through some of the plays that Aziz did, man. The, the one where he blows up the, the little touch pass to Albert Wilson is just incredibly impressive. Yeah. Boxes him inside and sheds. I mean, he's going to be a really damn good player. And another thing about Miami's offense too, I felt like they just did consistently, man. They were using their tight ends, Gesicki and Durham Smythe as an H-back and uh, with a reduced split wide receiver in like a two point stance. And they utilize this with their RPO action to just attack the leverage of the Giants cornerbacks who are typically off because the Giants ran a lot of middle of the field closed cover three type of concepts. And they like to be off unless they're in man coverage. And even if they are in man coverage, all you have to do is have that number one wide receiver release inside. He's going to drag that way, opening up the flat. So I felt like Miami and Tua were just attacking the flat, attacking the flat, attacking the flat consistently all throughout the game and getting big chunk yards, you know, six, eight, nine yards on some of these flat passes, which we'll go over here in the first second drive. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing to think about. It's like this was partially by design by the Dolphins, and and you almost wonder why the, the Giants can't operate that kind of offense if their offensive line is so bad, right? Like, can the Giants do something similar? Jones has had success in the past, both at Duke and in his Pat Shermer season with RPO. Uh, maybe that's something they have to come back to and lean on. But I almost feel like if they do, it's not going to be executed as well as what the Dolphins are doing, to be completely honest. Despite the fact that the Dolphins have an equally as bad offensive line, it seems like it's more well-practiced with them. They seem more in sync with it. I, like I said earlier in the last podcast when we broke down the Giants' offense, they're running RPO at a higher percentage than any team in the NFL right now, and they're getting more yards off of it per play. So they're really doing a great job with their RPO game with two, and that's something he was comfortable with uh, during his time at Alabama as well. So that's just a, you know, good coaching there, you know, just kudos to them on good coaching. Like you said, and I really liked what you mentioned before, you know, using Jacecki and Smith as kind of that H back with the reduced split receiver to, to, to just get those open flats for them. And we've seen the giants, this specific defense with Graham give up a lot of plays in the flat. I think it's almost designed in some ways to that. Uh, and they're like you said, it's, it's a lot of a bend don't break style defense, but they did a really good job of getting easy looks for Tua. Uh, obviously, you know, he didn't throw for that many yards per pass, but he completed a whole lot of his dropbacks. Absolutely, man. And to dive into the first drive, I mean, it wasn't just the RPO that also would, you know, create a little bit of uncertainty and, or at least potentially could create a little bit of uncertainty in the Giants' defenses. Miami, man, they use a lot of pre-snap jet motion to kind of gain numbers to one side to kind of work that RPO game because everything, bro, was just quick, bro. Get the football out of Tua's hands. And they also used, I think on that first drive, a sprint out off of a boundary stack to take advantage of the flat, which is something they did all throughout the game like we brought up. The third and one uh, stood out to me. I thought the Giants run deep, the third and one that was the Jalen Waddle play to the flat where Waddle just kind of separated, ended up going for five yards convert. Another thing on this drive that stood out was the run defense of the Giants. I mean, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams had a couple beast plays in the run. And then Lorenzo Carter, they tried to use split zone action to kind of kick him out. And he absolutely annihilated the pulling H back. I think it was Durham Smythe. So that was a really nice aggressive play from Lorenzo Carter that I appreciated. And uh, also I think the third and sixth play, that was the one where the Giants ended up getting them off the field there. Giants come out two-man under, bro. So they're going out and being like, look, I know 
Miami uses a lot of cover one with their man coverage, but the Giants, you know, just used cover two here and they just tight man coverage, press alignment. They try using Jalen Waddle to motion him to the number two spot to gain an advantage over the middle of the field. And you know what, man? He kind of beats James Bradbury on that third and six play. Bradbury holds him, doesn't get the flag, and then the throw is just behind Waddle and is almost intercepted by Xavier McKinney. But it's good to see the Giants really execute man coverage very well when they're asked to do so. You can see the leverage that they use uh, at the line of scrimmage. You know, Aaron Robinson sets outside forces Devontae Parker towards Xavier McKinney you have down at the bottom of the screen I think that's Parker release it or sets inside and, and allows the receiver to kind of go towards Logan Ryan because it's a too high you know you're going to have safety help but it's just kind of eliminating throwing angles and everybody if you watch the play is in tight coverage in the hip pocket of their receiving option so I felt like the Giants defense overall on that first drive came out and played really well yeah, they really did. And I even thought like on the second and six from Miami seven uh, with, with the first, uh, this is getting a little bit deeper into the game. So let me, let me pause on that and, and work it back to that really good plays on the ball by the corners. I felt like, like you said, the man coverage was as good as it's been all season long. I also thought they were pretty sticky even uh, on underneath stuff, which was what most of what Miami did. I want to jump a little ahead here to the second and six from the Miami seven in the first quarter with two ten left. We talk about the sack. We talked about it on the last podcast by Quincy Roche on that third and 10. But, you know, before that sack, or on that third and six, but before that sack, you have a really nice stick by James Bradbury. We didn't really have the greatest game. Like he gave up a lot of catches and yards, but a really nice stick on an underneath throw to prevent any yak. And that was the play before the Roche sack. Like he gives up a bigger play. It's a different third down for the Dolphins. They don't need to drop back. They can convert something quick and easy for fewer yardage. It's those little plays that really make the difference in my mind uh, for this defense, especially in a game plan like this where Miami's throwing so much quick stuff, Nick. They're throwing so much stuff underneath. You need your defenders to stick these guys and prevent yak yards after the catch. And I thought that was just something I want to tip my hat to uh, for Bradbury on that. It was an excellent read by Bradbury, too, because as we said, they want to attack the flats. That's what Miami does. They run a little stick, flat combination from the reduced split wide receiver inside the numbers, and then Mike Kosicki running uh, from that H-back position into the flat. They use Leonard Williams as the unblocked defender. He's the read defender that that Tua just reads there. He allows him to come up field. Nothing Leonard Williams can do once he throws a football, but this could have been a huge play. But one of the best things James Bradbury does, we talk about a lot on the podcast, is his ability to read everything in front of him. That's why he's such a good zone cornerback, bro, because he reads route concepts and understands what he's seeing, and he makes a decisive decision all the time. He makes a lot of plays like this where he kind of reads, and his assignment's Devontae Parker here initially, but he also has the flat to that area. So he sees what's breaking down, and you know, at the time where Tua still has the football, he's rearing back. James Bradbury's already heading to Mike Gesicki and just absolutely nails him. And that sets up the third and five sack that you brought up. Very next play, Quincy Roche just uses a long arm and just bullies Liam Eichenberg to the ground, bro. That was just an excellent play by Quincy Roche. You also had Ellerson Smith make an appearance there. He aligns wide and he kind of slants inside and the Giants and Patrick Graham bring Tay Crowder around the field side to kind of isolate him against Patrick Laird in pass protection. So you have pressure kind of slanting from that side and Quincy Roche wins so cleanly against Liam Eikenberg. It flushes Tua to that side of the blitz and that just creates chaos for Miami's offense. And like we said last time, Quincy Roche finishes, finishes, finishes. He finishes on this play and it was an excellent, I thought, game from Quincy Roche overall. He also had a couple really nice plays in the run game are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds win bet is now live in arizona colorado indiana new jersey michigan tennessee and virginia the excitement of win las vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the nfl mlb nhl golf mma wmba college football and more Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, he had a really nice play in the ring. I think there was one at the 1308 mark in the in the second quarter that stood out to me the most. I he's looking like a player. Like he can play the run, he can play the pass, he finishes. Like this is a player you want to build around. This may not be, you know, <laughs> Jalen Phillips on the other side of the ball, but you didn't invest the first round pick. You don't need that. And you need these glue guys, these situational pass rushers. So I was just as impressed after watching the film as Roche as we wax poetic about him on the recap episode last Sunday. Like this was good. You want to see it carry over to the film. All right, Nick, let's dive into a little bit more from some of these other drives. Let's dive, I guess, now into the second drive here. Anything that you took away here? I, I guess we just kind of went over that second drive. I'm sorry. Let's dive into the third drive here where the Dolphins use a little bit more jet motion. Um, what did you take away? And, uh, and obviously a lot of RPO. What did you take away from this set, uh, third drive from the Giants defense? Yeah, they started the drive with uh, handing the football off the jet motion, and they showed that a little bit earlier in the game. It's often a decoy in Miami's offense, but this time they handed the football off, and this was the play where Aziz Ojolari just expanded outside, boxing Wilson inside towards all of those pursuit defenders before shedding his block and making the play himself. And that's just excellent execution and great recognition from a young player. And we're going to wax poetic, to use a Dan Schneier term, about Aziz Ojolari all season because there's not a lot – that we love about this New York Giants team this year, but Aziz Ojolari is certainly one of them. Yeah, Aziz is a player. Like, it's not, I'm not sure. I feel like you'd rather, I assume, still have Jalen Phillips, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But I don't know if it's like that. And he's not that same type of athlete and Twitch athlete, but I like what I see from Ojolari. He has a very complete game to him. And he's like well beyond his years, in my opinion, as a pass rusher and just overall player on the field for what I expect from a rookie. So, I don't know if he's going to be that much further behind as we work through these next five years and evaluate both of those. Every player in that class, like there were a lot of pass rushers drafted before Ojolari. There's a lot of pass rushers drafted in the range of the top 50, top 60 picks. So I'm excited to like break those down and kind of evaluate those guys. But I feel really confident. I'm with you. I feel really confident about Aziz. Like you talked about the play he made on that uh, little pitch or whatever you want to call it, end around to Albert Wilson. That's a high IQ level play and it's in the run game and it stops what could be a really freaking big play. Like if Wilson finds that seam, he's the type of player who's made a lot of returns for touchdowns in his career. And who knows, that could be a game-changing play that he makes a stop on. So I'm with you on Ojolari. I feel really excited about his future as well with the Giants. Yeah, and I also thought Crowder had an excellent fill on the second and two to force a third and two. He was unblocked, so it's not like he stacked and shed anybody, but he kind of diagnosed it real quickly and shot the A-gap to just stick Miles Gaskin for a gain of nothing. And then the very next play, James Bradbury, I felt like he was a little bit too far off Devontae Parker, who just kind of secured a quick little hitch for the first down. But I also love the third and sixth play, man. Yep. The Giants ran cover one man with a double team on Jalen Waddle, somebody they were already struggling with in this game. I, I really think, man, Jalen Waddle's game isn't as good if Adoree Jackson's there. But Jalen Waddle's speed and athletic ability is going to take advantage of players like James Bradbury and even Aaron Robinson, who I feel like is a, a really good athlete in his own right. And on that play, though, it actually looked like Dexter Lawrence. If you look, he seems like he 
he penetrates well, but he's held up. And I guess he wasn't credited for a pressure, according to Pro Football Focus, but it seemed like it may have had some sort of a impact on the play because Tua ends up throwing a low pass to Albert Wilson, which resulted in the field goal attempt. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, great play call. I love what the Giants have been doing lately. They've been getting more confident in the secondary, and we saw it start to happen against the Chiefs with these double teams on the players that the, t- that the opposing teams like to go to a lot and like to look for. Uh, for solutions on these third and downs here, you see it double teaming Jalen Waddle. Great call here. And just for the people who I know yeah. have said, like, let's back things up. Let's break down some of the similar concepts. So, cause I'll be honest with you. We do get a lot of fans who are listening from other countries or are not as, you know, um, I guess I'd say well-versed on the X and Z's who said, who tell us like they learn the game sometimes through our breakdown. So explain to them what cover one man with a double team means. Yeah, so cover one is a man coverage assignment where it's mano y mano. You're going to be faced up, square up with your receiver. You can be in off leverage. You can be in press alignment, which is right up in the face, smelling the breath of your receiver. So everyone's a man coverage. Wherever your assignment goes, you go with him and you're tasked to cover him and not allow him to break away from you. Cover one means there is one safety high. So you're going to have one middle of the field closed safety. He's typically in the middle of the field. He's going to shade in one direction, depending on what the actual call is, depending on what hash the football is on, depending on the formation the offense is in. There's a lot of things that can kind of depend on where he ends up going, but that is basically cover one in a nutshell. It's just one safety high. Everybody else is playing man coverage. Yeah, and the double team, like. is double, is double team is just you're not going to blitz that guy. You're going to keep him in coverage, and usually you're going to have one defender playing either inside out or under over the top. So you'll have one guy in trail with another one over the top or one defender to the inside. If the guy breaks inside, the primary assignment will go to the inside defender. If the guy breaks outside, then that defender will be outside. On this specific play, there's a guy inside shade and then another player outside shade to depth. So if it was a deeper concept, that outside shade to depth would have taken advantage of him. If he broke inside, then the inside defender would have sank underneath and attached to him. Yeah, that's a great way to break it down. And so for those of you who are listening, we this is part of why I'm so excited about like maybe the future, the development of a player like Xavier McKinney, because if you have the ability to have one safety in a middle of the fo- uh, field closed look where you have, you know, the, you can use your other safety or whoever else you have on the field to do different things like double team or to take away some kind of underneath zone or to blitz or to, you know, come up and play downhill fast and aggressively. It gives you more upside as a defense in my mind, but you need to first have someone you can trust in that role in that deep half role. Um, and I think McKinney is somebody who's proving, you know, time and time again, that you can start to trust him in that role. And that's makes me excited about the future of this Giants defense. He's one of the players I'm most excited for moving forward. Anything else from that drive, or do you want to move forward to the fourth drive? Yeah, let's head on over to the fourth drive. All right, talk about something you liked or didn't like from that fourth drive. Oh, man, I mean, Miami just used so much RPO to nickel and dime their way down the football field. Their most effective concept was just the two-man simple stick flat against the giant soft coverage that we brought up before, you know, and they were doing it against middle-of-the-field closed looks, a lot of cover one type of looks. The number one receiver's stick route occupied both defenders to the two-wide receiver side with the number two receiver's alignment close to the offensive tackle, like we brought up the H-back. There was a lot of times it was Kasiki. They would just run to the flat. And then also Miami used the RPO to hold that end man on the line of scrimmage to that two man route concept. And that's kind of like what I said a little bit earlier. The stick acted as a pick a lot of the times, provided that the number two receiver would break into the flat, which would bring a middle of the field defender in that direction because he's usually aligned man coverage over the top of him. But then that stick would just be a flat. So he has to work over the top of it or work underneath it. It's just an obstacle for him to get around. And I felt like Miami consistently used that. And the Giants were comfortable, you know, giving up three yards, five yards, six yards. And there were times where they combated it by kind of dropping that defender, that outside defender, closer to the line of scrimmage. And they don't love doing that, I feel like, because they don't want to get beat deep by Jalen Waddle when they are in middle of the field closed looks because you don't want to necessarily press Waddle, lose at the line of scrimmage, and then good luck trying to catch him when you don't have a safety over the top. But I felt like, again, just like they were doing all game, they were having success with that specific route concept off of the RPO. So again, this is an RPO. You're reading the defender. You're reading into the linebacker. You're reading that M-man on the line of scrimmage. And if they do not go to fill right away, then you're just handing the football off. So that's why it stresses the defense because the Giants defense has to execute their run assignments before executing their pass assignments. Yeah, it's a great breakdown of the general upside to this style of offense. We've seen it in the past two of the Giants. Like the Giants have operated this well at times. Obviously, majority of that has been with Pat Shermer, but there's been glimpses of it during the Garrett years um, with Daniel Jones and the RPO game. It's something that we think he can do well. 
to an extent. It's something that he might need to do a little bit more of to, to kind of just, you know, I guess, progress his game to the point where he's producing offense for the Giants. And it's just something to keep an eye on here. What else from the defensive side of the ball stood out to you on this drive? Yeah, so the Giants used, or I should say the Dolphins used a lot of high-low concepts once they got into the red zone to kind of gain an advantage. And they almost scored a touchdown on the one play towards Aaron Robinson with Mike Isicki. And Robinson, I don't believe he got his hand on the football. I believe this was the second and six. But Robinson jumps up really high and just kind of gets yeah. his hand in the general vicinity yeah. of Gasicki's sight. And the ball, I think, hits Gasicki in the face mask. But it was a nice high-low concept guy in the flat. You have Gasicki running the seven. And then you also have the touchdown catch. You have three receivers towards the boundary here. And you motion Jalen Waddle, who's the number one receiver, to a stack, or to a bunch, I should say, right behind. And then you just release them all into a triangular route concept, which is basically triangles in football are one of the geometry, I should say, in football is one of the staples of just how you run routes. You want to basically create triangles because it's going to put stress on a multitude of different coverages. It's something that Sid Gilman did back when he was with the Los Angeles Rams and back when he was with the University of Cincinnati, one of the innovators of modern passing attacks. So anyways, they have Galen Waddle released from the innermost position to the flat. And both James Bradbury and I believe it's Logan Ryan kind of attached to him. And then Mac Collins just runs a seven over the top. It's a high-low concept putting James Bradbury into into a uh, into conflict right here with Devontae Parker kind of releasing to hold the safety on a quick spot route. Nobody goes to Mac Collins. Tua reads it great on the little sprint-out action and finds Mac Collins for a touchdown. A little bit of a coverage breakdown here, but this is a difficult play, especially because the Dolphins use motion to kind of switch up the assignments, putting Jalen Waddle from the number one to the number three right before the snap. And unfortunately, this results in another touchdown allowed by the defense just before the half. Um, obviously, I think they've now scored like 52 to nothing or some crazy stat I saw this week right before halves um, or at the end of halves. So not a great look for the Giants, but I'll give them credit because on the next drive, they do come out and force the three and out. Anything to take away that you wanted to point out from that drive, maybe uh, that, that third and four pressure they created? Not a second and four, man. We saw some inverted cover two. We haven't seen that much. Right. I feel like Patrick Graham uses inverted cover two when he doesn't respect quarterbacks. That's what I feel like <laughs> happened. And I don't think he respects uh, Tua too much. And an inverted cover two for those who uh, are did not listen to our podcast last year is when you line up in a cover three look or some sort of man coverage look, middle of the field close look. So you have that one safety high and then you have – two other cornerbacks. Now the cornerbacks are in more off leverage here than they would typically be, which is a little bit of a tell. And at the snap, the middle of the field closed safety drops down to basically a Tampa two linebackers assignment. And then both of the outside is typically the outside cornerbacks, but sometimes it's those apex defenders, those secondary, the nickel defender, if you will, the slot, they drop to deep half responsibilities. Now this, this is a, I wrote a piece on big blue view about this last summer on, on our summer school scouting. This is a defense that you can exploit, but it's also a defense where you can really force quarterbacks into making mistakes, throwing over the middle of the field. We saw it with Alex Smith last year that won the giants game. When I think the giants had their fifth turnover right at the end of the game, Alex Smith threw a, interception right to Logan Ryan. And you could see Tua, he looks at Jalen Waddle and he doesn't throw this ball because I feel like Reggie Ragland kind of gets a good enough depth to eliminate him. But Logan Ryan's driving downhill on this play. And both the Aaron Robinson and James Bradbury are dropping to a deep half here. So I just thought it was interesting to see that. This play ends up going incomplete. The coverage on Albert Wilson is really good from uh, one of the Giants defenders here to, to kind of just force an incompletion here. And the Giants also get a little bit of pressure. And then later on, in this on this drive, like you said, the third and five, the or the third and four, I should say, the Giants send a five-man pressure with Tay Crowder as a stunter. We saw this a little bit earlier. I felt like Patrick Graham employed this on a lot of these third down situations. He would rely on a man coverage, bring five, have one safety deep, and just trust his guys to to cover the defender. Now on this play, man, Tua, who gets nailed by Tay Crowder, luckily, has Mike Asicki wide open. And I'm not hundred percent certain if yeah. Julian Love if Julian Love was allowing him to uncover to, to allow Xavier McKinney to kind of undercut this, or if this was just a blown assignment, but if Tay Crowder doesn't get home here, it looks like Miles Gaskin might've blown his assignment on in pass protection here. Then it's going to be a huge play to Mike Kosicki. So the Giants got a little lucky here. Yeah, for sure. They didn't see it. And in general, I think what you bring up a point about Tay Crowder, this is where he's at his best in my mind when he's moving forward in the passing game as a blitzer. Uh, I almost ultimately think he can be used in like situational situ uh, situational pass, obvious pass downs moving forward in his Giants career at all at max. Um, he's made my list as the worst Giants player on film multiple times this year. I think he leads my list. I think he's had a really 
poor year in this new role. I do not want him playing many snaps next year, but I think this is one area where he does do okay, where he's moving forward as a blitzer. And I think that's something they can tap into and utilize going forward. Um, uh, hopefully, I, I I am really hoping, Nick, that they upgrade that inside backer position this offseason because I do not believe he should be playing this many snaps. I think, really, I think the film shows it. But like you said, he did a good, they did a good job on this. They get off the field. The next drive, once again, another really good job by the defense here to get off the field fast. They started to really click in that second half. Obviously, the offense didn't do them any favors, but they were constantly getting off the field. Uh, and so that's a great job by the defense. Anything that stands out to you on this drive that you want to break down? Oh, absolutely, man. Aaron Robinson's recovery, man, gives me so much happiness on this play because, again, the, on the third and five, right? Yes, the third yep. and five. So the, the Giants end up uh, allowing a three yard catch to Jalen Waddle. Again, the Dolphins align Jalen Waddle at the number one receiver, motion him to the stack to form a bunch as the number three receiver. So Aaron Robinson's going from the outside and then setting inside right on the hash. And what the Dolphins do is they release Albert Wilson inside. They release Mike Kosicki kind of vertically and then breaking inside, which creates a lot of traffic and gives Jalen Waddle all the space he needs to break outside from basically the hash all the way to the sidelines. And Aaron Robinson is on the hash here. He's about three or four yards inside of Jalen Waddle. And he has to kind of, you know, square his feet before Jalen Waddle breaks and commits outside because he doesn't know his intentions. So Jalen Waddle, one of the fastest guys, he breaks outside. Tua throws his football. Good timing, good rhythm here. The throw could have been a little bit better. It's a little high, and Waddle kind of has to stop. But Aaron Robinson literally puts himself in a position to make this tackle and just kind of recovers very well, showing a lot of short area quickness and solid change of direction. So I, I felt like that was a really good play just in general and execution by Aaron Robinson to recover against one of the fastest receivers in the National Football League. Yeah, you nailed it. He did a good job. His recovery speed was good in general in this game. I don't think, again, he's going to be like that step-for-step -step guy that Ori Jackson is sometimes against the Tariq Hill types of the NFL, but he has a lot of he has a really good feel for the game and it showed throughout this entire game, I thought. I'm really excited about his future after watching the film as well. Um, really, again, like I said, the Giants even started to lock in, but I do want to talk a little bit about that seventh drive because it looked more to me, Nick, like the Dolphins were taking a page out of the Giants playbook here to ruin a drive with obviously the drop, the false start. But there was really one really good play, obviously tough position for Miami, third and 15, but uh, Ojolari with a nice sack off the sun. You want to break that one down at the six? I think it was the 639 mark. Yeah, so the second and 15, because it was a false start, you're right, this is such a Giants drive, you absolutely nailed it there, but the second and 15 play was great individual effort from Dexter Lawrence, because it was a halfback draw, and Dexter Lawrence is already pushing upfield, and then he realizes it's a draw, and he comes off his block and makes the tackle on Miles Gaskin to force the, actually I think it was Salvin Ahmed, to force the third and 15, but I do love this stunt here, the Giants kind of send Julian Love pre-snap right into the running back's A-gap to kind of just, you know, get into the head that he may be coming. And then Aziz Ojolari releases upfield and then stunts around Ellerson Smith and around Leonard Williams, who are both slanting to their left. And then Aziz Ojolari goes to his right. So basically, number 73, who's Austin Jackson, somebody we did not love on this podcast when he was drafted in the first round out of USC back in 2020, he looks to his left and just goes to help Liam Eikenberg with Lorenzo Carter and doesn't feel the stunt. He might as well be a New York giant, to be honest, because he doesn't <laughs> feel the stunt coming. And Aziz Ojolari doesn't have to do a lot here. I mean, he has a good athletic ability and change of direction to put himself in a position here. But realistically, this should have been blocked up by Austin uh, Jackson here. It just wasn't. And Aziz Ojolari ends up kind of getting the sack, along with Lorenzo Carter, who did a really good job bending around Liam Eikenberg, using a good rip move to kind of get low underneath Liam Eikenberg, who is not having a good season this year, but it was good to see the bend from Lorenzo Carter there because Tua is going to get sacked here. Even if Loren, I, I think Tua is getting sacked here by Lorenzo Carter, even if yep. Aziz Ojolari is picked up. I completely agree. It's like so rare because it hasn't been a good season for Carter, but he still flashes. Like this is a play I had circled too because like, he does flash like that bend still. That like the reason we thought he could be a really great pick. I thought he was going to be the steal of the draft when they took him in that third round, man, in 2018. That was the player I was most excited about. I had a top 30 grade on him, and I thought they were getting an absolute steal because of flashes like that. But it just, I guess the consistency issue with him uh, just doesn't show up. It really is a consistent. I mean, the flashes aren't enough. You can't have one one to two plays like that in a game um, and, be, and be a quality player. But definitely kudos to him on this as well. I thought you're right. He was going to get the sack otherwise. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then on that next drive, dude, that first play, dude, did you see – Johnson, Austin Johnson just absolutely dominate 
the interior offensive lineman. It might have been Jackson again, to be honest. He just uses a club swim over the top of him on an RPO and Tula reads it real quick and fires the slant here, which is wide open. And it's a little bit unfortunate too, man, because you have the safety rotate down because the Dolphins use Albert Wilson to motion to the pre-snap to motion to the RPO side and he runs into the flat and that brings safety Xavier McKinney down and he was in a too high look before the motion and that like I said the adjustment for Patrick Graham they want to account for the flat here right so Xavier McKinney goes into the flat I'm not going to give you that flat pass that you've been hitting us with but that opens up the slant because Aaron Robinson is in such off coverage here that Jalen Waddle is wide open on the slant and it goes for 17 yards because Logan Ryan isn't going to be able to get from the opposite side of the field to the middle of the field to cover that so this is just a chess match of that RPO game between Brian Flores there's two offensive coordinators and Patrick Graham here and the Giants got burnt here for 17. For sure. Really nice design by the Dolphins there. You just got to tip your hat to them on that one in my mind. But yeah, that was a good example of the Giants interior defensive line blowing up that really weak uh, Dolphins offensive line. A really good matchup for the Giants. I thought maybe we'd see more of, but you know, just good, good job by the Dolphins there. What else on this drive stood out to you? And then the second and eight Giants are still, you know, a little bit too far off. RPO and it's read really quickly by Tua because Tay Crowder gets aggressive and kind of bites up towards the line of scrimmage. He sees Lorenzo Carter kind of come really hot around the edge. So he just fires a pass right to Jalen Waddle. This could have been a huge play, but Waddle ends up dropping it luckily for the New York Giants on the second and eight with 348 left in the third quarter. Yep, without a doubt. So that was a another a couple a couple breaks for the Giants, uh, for sure, in these last two drives. But again, they lead to that third and eight where the Giants can force a punt uh, on this play. So Again, ultimately a good, good end result here for the Giants. Yeah, it was, man. But then the next drive, dude, the ninth drive, it was just a lot of Tough nickel and diamond down the field. And then the Giants also, I think, got burned by a couple big plays here. And then you had the the touchdown. And it felt like the the Miami Dolphins, once they got into the red zone a little bit, you know, they tried using Wildcat. They tried getting creative. Lorenzo Carter ended up tackling Miles Gaskin at the one-yard line on a Wildcat. Just a phenomenal play. Another touchdown-saving tackle. He had one last week. Only that one, the uh, team, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't end up scoring. This time they ended up scoring on the very next play to Isaiah Ford, which was, I felt like a pretty creative play from the Miami Dolphins because they used jet motion with Miles Gaskin coming around. So a possible end around to what kind of fakes the handoff. And then he just kind of stands there for a second, but you have three receivers coming from the opposite side of the formation and the giants, you know, they have to pay attention to Miles Gaskin initially. So they're moving laterally in one direction with three receivers moving in the other direction. And Isaiah Ford just ends up separating from Xavier McKinney and James Bradbury who have a miscommunication. I think Bradbury expects Xavier McKinney to attach to, to Isaiah Ford, but McKinney kind of comes off because he sees two are rolling in that direction. And I I believe James Bradbury was looking to undercut the routes of Mike Kosicki and Devontae Parker here, but nobody ends up sticking with Ford because Xavier McKinney came off that assignment. Just a miscommunication ended up going for a touchdown here. Yeah, miscommunication. Also, I thought it was a really good job by Tua with his eyes on this one to hold to hold McKinney. So yes. excellent play by the Dolphins. Excellent execution. That's like a good example, Nick, by the way, of like, what's the difference right now with like, you know, why is the Giants offense so bad? Well, it's execution on a lot of these red zone plays. That red zone play was not perfectly designed. It didn't free up something immediately, but the execution was great. They were patient and they executed it well. The Giants just don't have that. They're not in sync and they're not executing. And so that's a difference in this game. The Dolphins cashed in on a couple red zone drives. It's all they needed to win a game like this. You know, the Giants put up nine points on their end. So it makes a difference when you have that kind of execution in the red zone. So kudos to two on that one in my mind and the entire Dolphins. Dolphins offense and the last play I want to go over and this one when I was watching the films I didn't realize this on the broadcast when I was watching this film I just started laughing bro because second and six fourth quarter 417 left in the game again this is a at this point it is nine to 17 so it's a one possession game and the Giants literally almost had a pick six I know uh insane so Quincy Brochet the play before made a nice tackle on Miles Gaskin to force the second and six and the and the Dolphins use the pre-snap motion. They bring Albert Wilson from one side to the other, all the way to the outside. And James Bradbury is following him. It's man coverage. And Tua goes into the mesh point. And for whatever reason, I don't know what he thought he saw, but he saw the slant. Okay, so he looks at the slant first, which is, uh, I believe, from Devontae Parker. But Tay Crowder does a really good job sinking underneath of this with Aaron Robinson on the outside hip. So he's eliminated from the play. So Tua's like, well, I didn't hand the football off, so I have to get rid of it. And he looks at Albert Wilson, who was covered so well. James Bradbury is square to Albert Wilson, about two yards upfield from him with his eyes on Tua. 
And then Tua unexplicably throws the ball at James Bradbury. But of course, it gets tipped. I believe it gets tipped at the line of scrimmage. And if it wasn't, maybe Tua just put it uh, on the ground. It might have been Aziz Ojolari who tipped it. And if it was Aziz Ojolari who tipped it, because if you watch it, it's kind of hard to tell if it gets tipped or not. It looks like it might be just off of it. But if it was Aziz that tipped it, I was going to say, oh, my gosh. Of course, this is the pass that gets deflected down at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. It might have been Tua just kind of throwing it into the dirt here because this would have been a pick six. And the Giants may have had yet another opportunity to win the football game or at least send it to overtime if they can convert their two-point conversion, which is definitely not a given. Again, a game. The execution, and this isn't necessarily execution, but we talked about all the execution mishaps. And then we had this where, the day, where, my, where Tua almost gave the game away to James Bradbury, dude. That was just one of those things where I was just laughing because that would have easily been a pick six. No one would have called James Bradbury there. It's a walk-in pick six. It's probably the easiest pick six of his career. Obviously, nothing on Ojalar. You're taught to get your hands up. You're taught to bat that ball. And against a game plan like this where Miami is throwing so many passes right off the, the you know, right around the line of scrimmage, quick, quick hitting stuff. You know, we would expect even more tip passes. So it was good to finally get one if they if he did get his hand on it. It does look like he did. I'm rewatching it from your Twitter feed now. It's hard to tell, obviously, from the all 22 angle, but it does look like he did. And it's just so unfortunate for the Giants because if he doesn't, it's a walk in pick six. But, you know, that's that's the story of the Giants this year, right? It absolutely is. And that that's this is like the microcosm of the New York Giants right here. It's great defensive play by Aziz Ojolari, but Obviously, you can't knock the kid, and we are not knocking him whatsoever. But it's like, oh, well, the one pass that he doesn't knock down or that he does knock down would have been excellent for the New York Giants when there have been so many passes this season where Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Zizo Jalar, all these guys have literally yeah. missed the pass by, you know, an inch, not even, and it ended up going for a huge offensive play. You're damn right. All right. Any of, anything else from the film play-wise you want to get to before we get into the superlatives from the game? Let's roll with the superlatives. All right, give me your unheralded player of the game. There's many to choose from. You can only choose one, so who's it going to be? I'm going to go Quincy Roche. I mean, he had the sack, but I also felt like he had plenty of plays as a run defender that impressed me. Now, there was one, and I don't have the timestamp on it, but it was one where he was up against, I believe it was Durham Smythe. Now, you expect edge rushers to defeat tight ends, right? But six-round edge rushers, not as much, but he absolutely annihilated this poor soul and then just positioned himself to tackle, I believe, Miles Gaskin off of an RPO. So I, I just felt like that was... A, an excellent play by Quincy Roche. And he's had several of those since he's been seeing a, not a full complement of snaps, but near a full complement of snaps. Yeah, there's so many potential players to pick from. I'm going to pick Aaron Robinson for this one for the sole reason of, and we've already gone over a lot of his good plays. He was put in tough position with Dory Jackson injured, not having the, you know, the, not having much time really at all this preseason through the early part of the year to learn the system, to get the reps in, to get the speed of the NFL game down. And despite all of those factors working against him, had a really strong game. And so that's such a good sign. Like that's part of why I'm excited about him because he was put in such a tough spot and had a lot working against him and he still put together a good game. So he's my unheralded player of the game. Give me your best individual play. I'm going to go with the Quincy Roche sack. I think that was the best individual play. He finished, like we talked about plenty of times. It was just an excellent individual effort and an excellent play design by Patrick Graham to get the blitz going on the opposite side of the formation. We have the same two here, but actually my if I had to pick one, it wouldn't be that one. It would be the play Oz's made on that jet sweep with Wilson because, man, if he doesn't make that play, it's it, I really, I'm really i just looking at that play over. It's It could be a big one. It could be a big gain if that guy hits the right seam and has the right momentum. And so it's such a tough play, in my opinion, for a defensive end to make in any kind of edge player. And it just goes to show how complete of a player he can be if he reaches his ceiling. So I'm going with Ojolari. How about the best player on film for you? Best player on film, I think Aziz Ojolari is probably the, the pick that we will both go with. But So I'm going to go with Leonard Williams. I felt like run defense a lot of the times. He had a couple pressures in this game, but again, I felt like the Miami Dolphins, what they were kind of doing to attack the Giants offense or the Giants defense led to you know a team that's not going to get a lot of pressures, to be honest, just because of their approach. So when you look at the run game, I believe he had – at least two or three stops, according to pro football folks. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but there were a couple of plays where he was just throwing offensive guards away and just absolutely shutting down the run. So I'm going to go with Leonard. 
Yeah, Williams was credited with three run stops per pro football focus, and those are stops that go for a negative or no gain, so those are big plays. I'm going to go Aziz, man. Four pressures, a sack, three hurries, despite the fact that, like we said, everything was working against this Giants pass rush to get anything going because they were just snap the ball, throw the ball, snap the ball, throw the ball, RPO, RPO, RPO. We have to have a run responsibility. It's really tough to rush the passer, like you said. But in addition to that, he had four run stops, including that really big tackle on Wilson. This was his, my mind, this can be argued as his best game of the season, despite the fact that, you know, the, the box score stats only show one sack. Um, so I'm going with his ease on this one. And I'm really excited. It, it, just a really great game from him. I, I'm so happy they drafted this kid. We we kind of knew it was going to be a hit, and it turns out to be as well. Is there anyone who on film you would put as like the, the worst player you saw on film? Yeah, RJ3, Raymond Johnson the third would be my pick. There was one of the bigger runs from Miles Gaskin was with him as the end man on the line of scrimmage. And he gets absolutely just gobbled and, and collapsed upon by whoever was blocking him. And he played, I think, eight snaps. And there was a couple players here that could – possibly fit the bill in the sense that they don't have a lot of reps under the belt. Steven Parker saw one snap. Jerron Williams, number 34, played 25 snaps. I actually felt like he looked pretty solid. I wouldn't say great, but he had one play. I remember where he like laid the boom on somebody and I was like, oh, there you go. Williams laying the boom right there. So hmm. I think it would be an easy one for me. It would probably be Raymond Johnson, the third, like even Danny Shelton didn't look terrible in this game and he played 16 snaps. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, only eight snaps for Raymond. Obviously, they were really bad. He didn't do anything, and he looked out of place there. That was a big risk. I mean, not a risk, but it was like a high upside type high low. It was like a high ceiling, low floor type decision to put him on the roster. Like he's a, obviously not doesn't have a big pedigree. He had a nice camp, and so they're trying to build on that. I'm going to go with Dexter Lawrence though, because the Giants, despite the Dolphins' game plan, had 13 total pressures, two sacks, a hit, a hurry, or ten hurries. And a lot of these guys who racked these hurries, sacks, and hits up didn't have nearly as many snaps rushing the passer as Dexter Lawrence, who had 33 snaps rushing the passer against a really weak interior offensive line as his matchup. And this is what we get. Nothing. A complete goose egg as far as pressures go. And it's just, to me, it's just not good. It's not what I need to see from the 17th overall pick. If this guy was drafted in the second round, fine. But man, oh man, like you need to hit when you're making these major investments. Why? Because otherwise you get a constant three and seven team like the Giants have been there. There's only so many major assets you get every year. This was one of them. And, and I thought this was a bad game. by him. And it sucks because he was good in the run game. But, you know, it, it has to be more than the run game for these guys that are that are major assets on this team. Yeah, I mean, I thought Dexter or Dexter Lawrence played fine. Um, I, I can understand where you're coming from, from the fact that he's not getting after the passer enough. I think he should have been credited with one pressure in this game with Pierce. It, that did not happen. I do appreciate what he did in the run game. But I also, man, this is a 350-pound dude. I, I think he's a good football player. I just don't think he's somebody who's going to be able to rush the passer, which is unfortunately why or you would imagine Dave selected him with the 17th overall pick, but that's not his fault either. Yeah, it may not be his fault. I'm not blaming him necessarily. But, you know, we were promised from Gettleman. He said this guy moves really well for his size. And he, if you're taking someone in the top 17, he better be able to rush the passer in today's NFL because otherwise he doesn't have that much value to your football team. Let's just be quite frank about it. You can get a lot of these, these run plugger type guys and these guys who are really good against the run on day two and even day three in the NFL. So in the NFL draft. So you just, it, it's got to be able to rush the passer. Maybe that'll be something that eventually happens for him in year, you know, in year four, I guess it would be for Dexter Lawrence next season. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But obviously I just felt like you can't have a goose egg in this game. Um, when you're, when you're expected to have a little bit more, especially when you have 33 snaps rushing the passer, which is the second most on the team behind Leonard Williams and no one else had even more than 22 besides him. So he had, you know, a lot, you know, more than 50% of any other player except for uh, Leonard Williams as far as rush, pass rush situation. So is what it is. Anything else on this defense before we wrap this one up? Um, well, we want to talk about pass rush, right? And run defense. Oh, sorry. We got to give the grades. My bad. I somehow missed that. Let's give a grade for the Giants pass rush. I'm a 5.4 and it's because of the Dolphins game plan is a big reason why the Giants didn't have as many pressures. They ended up with 13 pressures, but I feel like when Tua was dropping back and asked to drop back in the more conventional style, you know, five step drops, Giants were getting some pressure on him. A lot of times with Aziz Ojolari, a lot of times with the five man pressure package that Patrick Graham was using with Tay Crowder. So I'm going to go with a 5.4, not excellent, not great, but adequate to solid. I'm going to go a little bit better than that and, and go with a uh, 6.8 here because I do agree with you. I think rel taking the context into account, 
when he did want to try to drop back and get anything going in the intermediate to deep game, the Giants made that really difficult for him in a lot of ways. And so I got to give credit to the pass rush there. How about the run defense grade? Oh, that's an 8.9, bro. That was really, really strong. And it's what you would expect from the Giants with Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Aziz Ojolari, even Quincy Roche. Even Tay Crowder looked good. He had five stops in this game, according to yep. Pro Football Focus. Had one of the highest tackling grades he's ever had, according to them. And it also popped up on film. Some of those were also... Uh, offensive line breakdowns where they just never climbed to the second level and he just had a free release right in on the running back and you know, nothing Miles Gaskin or Salvin Ahmed could do in that situation. But I'm going to go with a strong 8.9. They were very, very impressive against a very, very bad offensive line. Yeah, I'll go 8.4 on this one. Not too much further behind you. I think Tate Crowder had his best game of the season. I think the run defense had their best game of the season. I don't, though, think it's a coincidence that it was against the worst offensive line they've played by far this year in Miami. This is a this offensive line is as bad at run blocking as the Giants. It felt like when I watched the film, like you said, there's mistakes of guys not getting to the second level. There's one-on-one uh, breakdowns that are just so constant on this film. So it's still a great game. Still got to give credit to the Giants run defense that completely eliminated that aspect of Miami's offense and forced it to be really just a quick passing game. But ultimately, it, you know, it was a good matchup for them. Anything else on this defense before we turn the page? No, I think we're good, man. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a happy holiday. Well, we're not quite yet at that point. So I guess I shouldn't be saying that mid-December. I got to wait a couple of weeks, but it's flying home to Jersey. And I guess it's for a holiday slash thing. How long are you going to be in Jersey, bud? About a month. Wow. A month in Jersey. So hopefully I will get to see this, this, this friend of mine. We'll see. I oh, hope absolutely. he's not one of those friends that's, uh, you know, like says we'll hang and then he's just all oh, too busy. You know, those friends. So hopefully it's not him. We may record together too, bro. Yeah, exactly. We got a big mailbag coming at some point that we're collecting questions for now. And I, I'm got to be honest with you, Nick. I am excited to turn the page on this season and start to talk about the future of this team, which is going to be coming in the next few months as well. I'm just going to be completely honest about the situation. This season has grinded and dragged me out to a pulp. I mean, they're four and eight. They're somewhat still alive, but it's, it's been a grind. So I'm excited to start talking about those 30,000 foot view questions and, you know, discussing the future of this team. That's important to me. Absolutely. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.